Okay, good evening everyone. It is great to see you all. And <clears throat> I am very excited for tonight's uh, topic, for tonight's guest. Um, it's Parsha Samor, and for those of you who joined us at lunch, hi Estelle, uh, for those of you who joined us at lunch, uh, it, we, we spoke a little bit about the, some of the complicated troubling elements of our Parsha as it relates to Kohanim with disabilities. And earlier this year, I was speaking to Cheryl about, I don't even remember what it was about at this point, um, and we were speaking about Parsha's Emmer a little bit, and uh, we thought it would be a great Shabbos, a great weekend, to speak about Cheryl's work and what we could do, our work, the work that's let, that, that is needed for us. Um, Cheryl, for those who don't know Cheryl Grossman, is a powerhouse in our community. Um, I have gotten to know her through Facebook. Actually, she came to our show for a yamtiv a while back. And over the time, some, some very helpful and meaningful feedback about some of the things that we were doing or not doing and respectful and just giving me perspective, things that, you know, I, we pride ourselves on being a place that's so welcoming and there's just things that we miss. And we pride ourselves on being people who are so welcoming and there are things that we miss. And Cheryl has been doing unbelievable work, um, heroic work, and, and just pushing herself um, you know, today she told me she was taking it easy today, and she described what she did. I'm not going to list it all over here, but what, what an easy day for Cheryl looks like is, is really something. So I'm just going to give you some snippets of, of Cheryl's bio. Uh, Cheryl spent over 20 years working in the, in the disability rights and disability justice community on issues ranging from education and housing to voting and healthcare access. I believe there was an article about voting not too long ago in the New York Times written by Cheryl, which you should check out. And over the last de decade, uh, Cheryl has specialized in rare condition advocacy and multiple minority group issues. Currently, she is spearheading an effort to ensure that everyone gets vaccinated. Um, and in addition to a few other things in her spare time, she is the board chair for Yad HaChazaka, the Jewish Disability Empowerment Network. It is an honor and a pleasure to have you with us today, Cheryl. And the floor is yours. Thank you all so much. I really do appreciate it. Um, I'm going to keep my camera off for a couple of reasons. One is that my video likes to overheat my computer and that won't be good for the connection. Um, and the second is I, I just had surgery the other day, so my face looks like someone hit me. So I'd rather that not be on camera. Um, so once again, I'm really happy to be able to be with you today. Um, when uh, Rabbi Moten and I spoke months ago, it was around a specific issue that kept coming up in the Jewish community uh, here in Maryland, and that was uh, introducing um, physician-assisted suicide into uh, the mix of things that we in Maryland face. Um, and uh, we were sort of talking about the Jewish perspective of this and the disability perspective of this. And I said, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to come share our views, uh, talk a little bit about what we do and why we do it, um, and then, of course, um, COVID hit hard, and I uh, sort of branched off into other uh, activities uh, this year. So there is no shortage of topics in the disability justice space. Uh, I can talk forever. Uh, being four foot three, my mouth is my largest organ, so you will likely have to tell me time is up. Um, and unfortunately, uh, Rabbi Motzen has made my head very large uh, with all of his um, explanations tonight. So we're just going to skip over that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. Um, and I've taken so many slides out of this. I have actually decided that most of this will not be used at this point. Uh, but uh, let's just bring you up on here. 
Um, and I'm going to move you all over to the side so I can see it. Okay. Um, so, question one more. A guide for disability justice. Should we choose to see it? Um, I unfortunately missed Rabbi Motzen's lunchtime lecture uh, here, so I apologize for that, um, and I don't want to repeat, um, but I, I will just spend a moment to say how precious and more uh, comes across to somebody who has a physical difference. Um, I uh, admit I grew up in a reform Jewish context where uh, Torah learning was, was not my standard every day, and so I came to learning very happily, uh, very excited to do it, and all of a sudden, Parshas Hemor is right in front of me. And, and what do I do with this as a young adult? Um, and I see in print for the first time, oh, someone with dwarfism cannot serve as uh, the Kohen. Um, and that sort of stopped me short. And it's like, well, I am short. So what is it about this? Um, and, and I wrestled with it, and many of us do. Uh, and I, I don't want to belabor this piece of it too much. Uh, as I imagine that it has been talked about quite a bit, other than to uh, say at this end of, of what we talk about today is that we recognize that Torah was written in a within the society at the time. Um, and so we want to always take a, into account what's happening for the people at the time that the events are happening. Uh, and that um, I want to just sort of highlight this word guide. Um, when I say Parshas Emor as a guide, um, I'm going to be referring back to Parshas Emor and how it's been interpreted uh, as we go through this uh, disability space. Um, so I'm going to pivot to the topic that we originally agreed upon tonight, which um, is physician-assisted suicide. So I want to start with just a definition. So according to the dictionary, physician-assisted suicide, or what we call PAS, is suicide by a patient facilitated by means such as a drug prescription or by information such as indicating a lethal dosage provided by a physician who's aware of the patient's intent. And that's intent to use it. And the purpose of physician-assisted suicide is to make it legal for a doctor or to decriminalize the process of a doctor prescribing someone a lethal medication that also protects that doctor from liability when someone uses that to end their life. It's also to standardize the quoted cause of death uh, that is a line on a death certificate, which reflects the underlying condition, whether or not the condition itself caused the death. Um, and I'm gonna take just a moment and do an aside here, is that we've seen this during COVID a lot, um, where someone with COPD or diabetes or heart condition had complications of COVID and passed away. What's often put on the death certificate is not uh, died of COVID, but rather complications of diabetes. And so then when you try to categorize how many people with disabilities or underlying health conditions passed away during COVID or from COVID or as a secondary manifestation uh, of COVID, um, it's really hard to know because it's not being attributed to COVID. It's being attributed to the underlying condition, uh, which factors into um, the guide question 
uh, as I brought it up before, is how we internalize, how we use, how we see disability within our community. Um, so let's give a little bit of context. So people with serious illnesses and terminal conditions are in the US uh, legally people with disabilities. Um, you see here, there's a graph um, for those who are not able to see it. There's a graph with an oval that says people with disabilities. And within this oval is a smaller circle that says people with terminal conditions. Um, and this is a graph that's taken straight from Not Dead Yet uh, in their 2013 presentation. Um, so what this really reflects here is that people with disabilities is a very broad term and is getting even broader in the COVID context. And people who have terminal conditions are a subset within that. So not all people with disabilities are terminal, but most people, the vast majority <coughs> of people who have terminal conditions count as people with disabilities. Um, and we'll see that the misunderstanding or misuse of this uh, in popular society, and including here in Maryland, is what has led to some problems. As a separate piece, an aside, a siloed piece here, I want to just point out a couple of statistics about the abuse, neglect, and coercion of people with disabilities. So an estimated one out of 10 of our elders are abused, mostly by family. This is according to the New England uh, Journal of Medicine, and I have listed a link here. If people want this presentation, I can certainly send it. Um, we also have uh, data on seven out of 10 people with disabilities reports some form of abuse. So why is this important to factor into what we talk about when we talk about physician-assisted suicide? For many people with disabilities, a family member or a paid support staff person is the one communicating with the medical professional. And so we need to keep in mind who is the target of what we're talking about? Is it the person with the disability or is it the person who's the caregiver, right? So who, who gets to make that decision? And that's a really hard psychological concept. Um, we like to think uh, not just in the Jewish community, but in society in general, that we have the best interest of our elders uh, in mind. Unfortunately, it's not always seen that way by those of us who are affected. And this has to do with societal pressures or what we consider to be ableism. So let's back up and talk about the top five reasons why people might request physician-assisted suicide. The top five reasons, and this is coming out of a study in 2016 that came out of Oregon who legalized physician-assisted suicide uh, quite a bit ago. Uh, and it had to do with the top reason was a loss of autonomy. 92% of people who were surveyed requested physician-assisted suicide because of loss of autonomy. The second top reason was the loss of ability to engage in activities that they typically enjoy. Um, and as an aside, I'd like us to keep in mind what it means to be part of a faith community and how that changes when a disability uh, comes into the picture. Uh, it's just important for us to keep that in mind. 
The third piece of this is loss of dignity, 79% asked for physician-assisted suicide because of a loss of dignity. Loss of control of bodily functions was 48%. Typically, three and four go hand in hand. And five is feelings of being a burden, 41%. A lot, what's interesting to me is a lot of people, when we think about physician-assisted suicide and why people might want it, the top reason that people think about is pain. And just pointing to the, to the end of this slide, pain was actually not reported in the top five reasons of those who requested. Yet every state that has uh, brought forward legislation uh, has mentioned pain as a top reason for doing this. So these societal pressures and the ableism, how does it you know, come to be? We have economic pieces. Health insurers rarely cover complex or sophisticated treatments, medications, supplies. Many end up getting denied. However, those same insurance companies often cover the lethal prescription in a state that it's already uh, legal. Um, also, the loss of a job by an individual and or the caregiver often results in household financial strain, and we all know what it's also this piece of internalized, internalized ableism. Uh, the relationship between the adjustment to disability and depression or suicidal ideation. And what's really important, um, I put this other, uh, this other piece on this slide, Centers for Independent Living, where I have often worked. Our role that is set up by Congress is to intervene to assist people in adjusting to disability. So for more than 30 years in the United States, and there are several, there are seven in Israel, for example, these Centers for Independent Living, uh, to work specifically set up to work with people who are having difficulty adjusting to disability. And when you're faced with a terminal diagnosis, uh, this is yet another adjustment to a new life role as someone with a disability. So I'd like to inject into this that there are support systems out there that may not be known about and aren't always stood up as, oh, this is the answer. Instead, there needs to be a medical intervention. And I, I know we're, we're getting a little bit short on time, so I just wanna um, talk about this really important concept here, this myth that physician-assisted suicide gives people with disabilities more choice. And it gives them control over when to end their life. And the fact of this is that it perpetuates the stereotype and the value judgments that lead oftentimes to poor functioning. That's psychological, it's spiritual, and even physical when you stop taking care of yourself. And that stems from what options are you given? If your health insurance doesn't cover your treatment and you're stuck in the space, well, why would I want to go on? And you start spiraling into that. Uh, if you have the loss of a job and you have an exacerbation of disability and it makes it more difficult to go out and search for a job or to hold down a full-time job, then you're stuck in that financial spiral. How do you get out of that, right? So this isn't, the physician-assisted suicide gives you a way out of that circle, but the way out of that circle is to end life rather than to give you the hand up. And I always go back to Maimonides here the highest form of tzedakah, of course, is helping one to help themselves. And as Jews, you know, this is important to us. And so I would inject that this is the point in the cycle where we can 
we can depend on that from our own tradition as how we help break this cycle without having to use drastic measures. Um, so I gave an example here. If you're told you can have a hamburger with fries or you can have macaroni and cheese for lunch, it makes it really hard for you to choose to have pizza because you were never given that choice. It was never on the menu. It's a very simplified uh, way of saying that for people with disabilities, the choices are not always given. You can have it from one silo because a service system gives it to you, or you can choose to buy it from a different setting, but you can't always choose from the full range. And that's a piece of what's really missing. It serves to isolate and it serves to spiral us back into the depression uh, piece again. Um, and again, I put in here, the role of the Centers for Independent Living is to help you see the full picture. It doesn't have to be a Center for Independent Living. Uh, Yad HaZakah actually functions in the Jewish community as a Center for Independent Living, but there are other agencies that do this as well. Um, I have a bunch of slides here about health disparities. This comes up a lot uh, during COVID, uh, but I think I have uh, gotten you to the point where, where you understand where this is happening. Um, Real quick, less access to quality healthcare. There's usually a lack of belief in the person with a disability as knowing for themselves what's going on with their own body. There's often a lack of accessibility. More than half of private physicians' offices are not physically accessible, and many of them do not have uh, video remote interpreting or TTY access. Many people, when they lack transportation, cannot change a healthcare appointment very quickly or can't get to uh, a, an appointment quickly. And of course, then the lack of financial resources uh, and health insurance to get the best care. Um, of course, these health disparities become even more difficult when we talk about race, ethnicity, the language spoken, your gender, and your sexual identity. Uh, these are all factors that when compounded with disability make the service system very difficult to manage. Um, so I have some references here at the end, and like I said, I can send this along. But what I really want to focus on here is how does this relate to partial sound? What's the guide here? So I want to look for just a second at Kliakar. Kliakar comments on partial MR, um, having some difficulty with partial MR and, and what this really means uh, in terms of you know why you cannot uh, function as a cohane if you have these physical disabilities. And the Kleakar ends up talking about the fact that, well, this was stated during a time frame when physical disability was something that was an anomaly, it was not accepted very well, um, and that the focus is on the physical presentation of the individual. And if you're focusing on the physical presentation of the individual, you're not focusing on the service that the Kohen is completing. So what's the answer to this? The answer to this, I think, exists in what the Kliakar is suggesting, as well as what the Centers for Independent Living are consistently teaching. And that is, we look at this as a guide. We look at it through the lens of the society. If people with disabilities are included equally and fairly in all aspects of life, including the leadership of our communities, then what is different? Are we paying attention to the physical difference? 
or are we fit, uh, or are we paying attention to the position that the person fills? What is actually happening? Is the function of the Kohen, is the function of the religious leader, is the function of the teacher, the doctor, the lawyer, whoever it might be, able to be performed? And that's really the goal of the Centers for Independent Living and the Disability Rights Movement, is to see disability as a natural piece of life, is to put the dignity and the livelihoods of individuals on an equal par. And we have this guide in Judaism, right? When we look at uh, the creation of people, we look at the creation of people as being in Hashem's image, right? So how do, how do we reconcile this? I think Kliakar is on the right track here, is that it's about interpretation. It's about how we use the information of our position. And so I'm going to stop sharing at this point. I'm going to leave. I know I've given you a lot of information. This is a heavy topic. So I'm going to let folks ask questions and challenge me because that's why I'm here. Okay, I'm gonna thank you, Cheryl, first of all, and that's uh, thank you for that presentation. And uh, there is a lot to unpack, as you said, um, and I absolutely love that idea of the kliyakar. If I'm understanding correctly, it's it's kind of cyclical. If we create a society, if we develop into a society where there are no differences, or we don't see people for those differences, uh, we see people for who they are, and not based on those physical differences, then. Um, there is no difference anymore, and these uh, these what are described as uh, disqualifi these disqualifications will no longer be in existence because they won't stand out because we'll be so accustomed to them. And so, really, it's on us as a society to recreate what our society looks like and to to kind of embrace the the broadness that our society has in a more direct fashion. <clears throat> it's a really beautiful idea. A really beautiful idea. Um, I'm just going to jump in, but there, there, we do have a couple of minutes for some some questions, and I do want to unpack some of the things you said. But I'm, you know, on a very practical level, I know you do a lot of political work, and uh, you know, in, in terms of advocacy, I'm curious if you have any and 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 you know, you're touching upon. There's so many pieces that that clearly there's work to do. What you described, some of those slides, in terms of uh, people with disabilities and their ability to make proper choices or the care that they're getting. What would you recommend for us to do if we would like to help? And I'm going to ask on two levels because uh, we all have different uh, strengths and different things that we're inclined to, both on a political level for those who are able and interested and, and enjoy being involved politically, and also on a person-to-person -person level, on a practical communal level. Um, I'm wondering if you could share any thoughts or direction for all of us, what we could do to help, to not to help, but to help create a society that the Kliyakar and you were describing so beautifully. Oh, uh, this is Cheryl. Thank you so much for that. Um, I'm going to answer, um, I'm going to give a double answer here. Um, one is specifically regarding this concept of physician-assisted suicide. Um, and the other is what we can do uh, in general uh, as a, an Orthodox Jewish community. Um, and I realize that not everyone on the call is Orthodox Jewish. Sorry, Daniel, I just saw you on here. Um, <laughs> so, um, so the first answer to this is, so what can we do politically in terms of, of this concept and coming up in terms of legislation is talking amongst ourselves, is really uh, talking about the value and the quality of life. And um, while choosing, having someone be able to choose the time of death 
is one piece of it, but informed choice um, of, of how all the options come together, we may need to go outside of the Jewish community in order to find those resources. And uh, folks like Yada Chazaka are here to help. The Centers for Independent Living are here to help. Um, and so that's that's one thing on the political level. We can, we can inform ourselves, we can make our own decisions, and then we can contact our legislators uh, during session and even off session and let them know, hey, I value my life. In Judaism, we, hi- we value life higher than anything else. And this type of intervention uh, interrupts that. And it doesn't just interrupt it as we Jews, but people with disabilities too. It injects uh, more ableism into a society that's already struggling with this. Um, and then I think the, the second piece of this is what can we do in the Jewish community? How do we get here is really the question and the answer. And we need to look within ourselves. We need to look at the systems that we've set up. Um, when a woman is pregnant, we say tova, that everything should go in its right place, in its right time, right? Um, that's putting a value judgment. What happens when it doesn't? There's, um, there's this, a sucking in of breath. There's um, a, a value judgment that happens there. And while pieces of this are natural, um, and it's a biological reaction, then we need to think about, well, why are we react, reacting this way? And how can we react that way and continue in a positive way? How can we begin to change that? When someone sneezes, we bless them for a good life. Same kind of concept. When it comes to uh, marriages and resumes in the Jewish community, um, the thing that's always the sticking point is, is there disability or you know some Thing that's not quote unquote normal within that person, within that person's family members. The more we hone in on that, the less diversity we have within the community, um, and the more we exclude people with disabilities. So it's really it's things that are fundamentally within our own communities that we need to think about when we say this, um, what it actually means for our community members. Um, a really easy way to uh, turn the tide on this is to get to know people with disabilities better. So how do we do that? We welcome people with disabilities into our communities. When we have an event like a Zoom event, for example, like this, do we make sure that uh, captioning is available? Right. So Zoom has a setting that when you set up, set it up, you can turn on card captioning. Well, that would allow people with hearing disabilities and learning disabilities like myself to better be able to capture what you're saying. Right. So we can do that, right? That's that's part of the package. Uh, when you get a business Zoom account, you can do that on that setting, um, and it doesn't count, doesn't cost anymore. When we see a major Jewish institution putting um, Shirim online, can we ask them to do one out of every four or one out of every ten captioned, or bring in a sign language interpreter? Choose one per year and make sure that that is pinned onto the shear, right? So that opens up the access to people who would not necessarily be able to. When we're doing reconstruction on our shul, if we change our HVAC system, religious institutions don't have to make themselves accessible. They're not included in the Americans with Disabilities Act. But if we wanna be inclusive, if we want grandma and grandpa to come to a bar mitzvah and they use a wheelchair, how does that happen unless they're able to get in, they're able to use the bathroom, et cetera? How can we welcome them into our community? 
when we send people sukkah hopping, do we give information about which Sukkot exists in a place where if you use a mobility device, you can go in the house to use the restroom? Which, which houses are pet, friend, are, are pet free so that someone who's allergic can still go? When we do shul functions and we have food, do we give allergy information? Do we have alternative menus available for someone who can't eat the standard restaurant food? So these are easy ways that we can incorporate a more inclusive society, right? So there's, there's the heavy negative stuff, you know, what not to do. And then there's the other, some oftentimes more easier things that we can do that are free or very low cost and, and take very little time once you start doing it. There's a little bit of planning involved, but once you get used to it, it's like riding a bike. So I would, I would start there. Okay, that's great. Actually, Zoom started uh, automatically captioning my stuff on, on Facebook, and I, I just crack up when they try working on the Hebrew words. So it doesn't work for everything, but they get, you know, 90% of the words. Uh, but that that's is true, but I have two captioners for you from Israel who I can suggest. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> okay, great. Good, good, good. Uh, but those are some fantastic uh, suggestions. And, and so, like you said, some good food for thought because it's not just you know, not to harm, but how we could be proactive, uh, proactively be more inclusive um, in so many, like you said, easy, easy ways. Um, amazing. Does anyone have any questions for Cheryl? I will just add while people are thinking about their questions. Um, we see, you know, this inclusivity mean a huge difference, especially during COVID, is that one little piece of outreach can change the psychological and spiritual mindset that a person is in. That is saving a life. You might not think that that's a huge deal, but participating with others, especially during COVID, has been incredibly important uh, for our community. We've just been decimated with the numbers of us who have been lost. This is a way to keep us engaged. This is a way to say, hey, you're valuable to us. Yeah. That's 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 a, such a good point, and and you know, and Cheryl and Cheryl pointed out to, to me when we uh, at some point in the middle of uh, COVID about a few months ago, how having classes online is something which normally um, people who are have more challenges to travel so easily, you know, they are now able to come to many classes which they otherwise would not have the opportunity to attend. So, um, I guess it's been a, a big positive. Yes, and daily minyanim. We might not be able to do it for Shabbos and Chag, but daily minyanim would be nice. Right, right. Okay. Sometimes we have a shy crowd, Cheryl. So last chance, don't have any, any questions for, for Cheryl? What, no tomatoes? Really? <laughs> okay. Well, Cheryl, I, I want to thank you for the incredible work that you do, the like stop, ceaseless work that you do on so many levels for uh, our community. For And by our community, I mean our community, not the, just the Jewish community, the, the entire uh, community, um, what you're doing is, is really, really remarkable and incredible. God, just give you the strength to be able to do so, the health to be able to do so, um, and uh, you should just see lots of success in your incredible work. And I, I, I think I'm going to be reading Parsha's Emor, as I think many of us will, in a very different fashion. Um, it'll, it'll give us a, a lot of food for thought. So thank you so, so much for joining us tonight. And thank you, everyone, for participating. We really appreciate you uh, joining for this very, very special discussion. Thank you.